Welcome to the Kingsway Podcast. Welcome. It's good to see you. We are glad to be back for part three. Part three. Part three that we didn't know we were doing until the end of part two. Part yeah, part two and a half. Two and a half, two and three quarters. Nah, part three. Okay. This ain't no Harry Potter (laughs) train. This ain't no nine and three quarters. I was about to go there. Okay. Got to do my uh, standard coffee pour for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the coffee that comes out of the red can. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Um, That's okay. My dad would do that at his his office. mm -hmm. He worked at a, a, like, place in St. Louis that made computer mm. chips or something. Yes, yes, yes. That's about as much as I can really tell you in, <laughs> in all certainty. But uh, he worked there and, and all his friends would have a coffee every morning and he would get a Pepsi and they'd be like, where are you getting a Pepsi? It's 9am. And he'd say, I'm just trying to get to my black caffeinated beverage like the rest <laughs> of you. And they'd be like, oh yeah, I guess. I guess that makes sense. Dude, yeah. I was that kid that drank a Mountain Dew most mornings, like in high school, like it was one of those where I was like, "Oh, nectar of the gods," because that's what yeah. Mountain Dew is called, is nectar of the gods. Yeah. Um, and those of you that know, you know. And then I realized how bad that was for you. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I I was like sixty pounds lighter in high school, but I was always like, "Why am I so chubby?" And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but I would come home every day. I'd eat a pop tart on the way to school. Mm-hmm. That's like three trillion calories already. Yep. And then I'd do a uh, uh, Mountain Dew. And a cinnamon raisin bagel, not toasted, no just, cream cheese. Just eat it just like a donut. Eat it like a donut. <laughs> and then tortilla chips until my tummy hurt. Dude. <laughs> that was my my daily meal. I'm trying to, I lived on bagel bites and uh I'm trying to think what else I ate. Just like we ate a lot of fish sticks, bro. A lot yeah. of fish sticks. I, I ate ego waffles like they were chips. Yeah. Like I can remember eating six to eight ego waffles in like a sitting. Yeah, that's like a whole box. I'm sorry, I mom. Think. Yeah, I really like. Yeah. You know, I know this because Katrina the other day was like, "You can only have four as a max to our boys," and I was like, "I didn't grow up with a max." Like I was like, this, this. "Or like when my stomach was full, that's my yeah. max." My max was my ability, not not a rule. So, I love. Uh, I love. I have loved this discussion, and uh, yeah. obviously, you're seeing this kind of this conversation ripped apart, but it's only happening over a few days. For us, I guess a week and a half, but yeah. the conversation's been more um, contained and, like, I would say constructive in the sense of, like, it's kind of build, it's building off of one small conversation we had and then off of, the, of course, the book, um, Telling the Truth of the Gospel, um, Comedy, Tragedy, and then, yeah. or Comedy, Fantasy, and then tra- and Tragedy. I loved that concept, and we yeah. we talked in detail about that last in the last session. So if you're like, what the heck is that? Go back and look that up. Um, basically, the gospel tells all three of those types of, of uh, kind of congruencies in yeah. story and how those relate to uh, some of the Marvel movies, but also kind of just speak to human nature and the human experience yeah. uh, in a very real way. Um, but I was thinking about like books because the book you say is not just about like philosophically or like theologically talking about that, but it's just he uses narrative inside the book to yeah. describe what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. So he's like telling you what it is, but then uses it. Yeah. To kind of pull it out. He's trying to tell you about, um, like, the tragedy of all life. And so in order to do that, he he gives a narration of a high school English teacher teaching through Shakespeare, Shakespeare's King Lear. So the authors used King Lear before as its own narrative. And now he's going a step back and using a narrative of an English teacher teaching the narrative of King Lear. And, like, uh, how off guard everybody was by thinking of themselves all as, like, hopeless. Uh that at this final scene or somewhere in there that uh, somebody's praying and says, we're all wretches or something. And he asks who are the wretches in this high school classroom and this like geeky pimply kid surrounded by all these other kids, other classes in their high school caste system. There's the jocks and the cheerleaders and the whatever. He's like, we're all the wretches trying to be funny. And everybody at once realizes it. It's And true. it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like uh, he talks about the, the cheerleader who's dating the the quarterback and she's as beautiful now as she will ever be. The only place she can go from this moment is out of it. Mm. The only trajectory she can go on is down. Like, like for people who are rich or at the peak of their career, they get, they get a, an award or something. Well, you just did what your whole life is aiming at. Now what? 
now what? Yeah. Yeah. There's this whole, I think an Oscars speech from uh, uh, Jim Carrey. He's like up there to give an award and he's like, He's like, hi, I'm two-time yeah. uh, Oscar nominator, Oscar winner, uh, Jim Carrey. And when I go to sleep at night, I don't go to sleep as any regular person. I go to sleep as two-time Oscar winner, Jim Carrey. Yep. And when I dream, I don't dream like anybody. I dream dreams that I am three-time Oscar winner, Jim Carrey. And this is all they're having me do. And it, But it's like this, it's a joke because it's like, so true. you did it. Mm-hmm. Like, what is there left to do? And I love, I love that the the thought of the book is pulled out in narratives inside narratives. So it's like yeah. leveraging what story worked in a cultural setting that Shakespeare is in, but how that story just merely translated into our culture's similar yeah. settings that it can be just as powerful. Which is why Ten Things I Hate About You does the exact same thing. It takes, um, you know, Taming of the Shrew, which is one of Shakespeare's other plays, and pulls it into the '90s high school yeah. setting. And yeah. basically lays out the same characters in very similar ways, and, and it still translates yeah. extremely well. And you know, this is centuries and centuries later. That's why it works so well because it's it's. Uh, and I'd say the same thing about West Side Story. That was, I think, Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. a Shakespeare it was. retelling. All of those worked well, not because they're Shakespeare, mm. but because Shakespeare was doing what uh, Frederick Bach, Buchner, whoever wrote, Buchner, uh, mm-hmm. Buchner. Uh, telling the truth. He's not telling a truth of that time uh, about specific items, specific clothing. He's telling the truth about humanity. And that stuff never changes, even though we have the internet, even though we have yep. uh, better manufacturing processes and whatever. Like those jealousy doesn't change. Well, it just I shifts. was thinking about that because you mentioned how every story borrows from the gospel. That's Doug Welch. Yes. And like how that Doug Welch talked about. But that's one of our, our values here is that the method changes, but the message never does. Yeah. And the message we're talking about is the gospel itself. And, yeah. it's not, and it's not just the truth of salvation through Jesus. We are talking about the truth of where the world's at, where tragedy... We're talking yeah. about the unknowns that are being revealed. Yeah. We're talking about this concept that we've really been unpacking of story. Yeah, what we talked about with the, with the high school cheerleader who's never going to be as beautiful as she is right now, like you've reached your career peak. Isn't that just Ecclesiastes? Absolutely. And uh, uh, talking about um, last time we talked about jealousy and pointing fingers, like, isn't that just Genesis 3? And that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it never happened, but we're not saying that. We're not saying it never happened before the Bible wrote that down. Yeah. But what we are saying is that Scripture and the Gospel specifically are... uh, are the best revelation of those true things. Yeah. And they're the best revelation because they're the truest and also because they have as a character, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. For sure. And I I think even Genesis 3 is the perfect example because whether you see it as literal or whether you see it as allegory, it doesn't matter. The central theme is that at the beginning, from the beginning, no matter who you were, no matter, you know, your life is centered around selfish decisions and brokenness that needs to be covered up. Yeah. Something that needs to be, that is shameful, that in your heart of hearts you know, and in the end you die naked. Yeah. And I, I love that thought that everyone dies naked. Like everyone yeah, dies yeah, yeah. fully revealed. Fully All the masks shown. come off. Yeah. Uh, everything falls it's, away. You even see it in uh, Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about anger and he says, uh, you've heard it said, do not commit murder, but I say to you, anyone who... Uh, commits murder, uh, who is angry in his heart commits murder or something like that. And you're like, oh, that's a nice sentiment. That'll carry on forward. But like Genesis 3 and 4, the time a murder was invented in the scriptural mm-hmm. story yep. was because he committed murder in his heart first. Yep. He Cain wanted to kill Abel first. And, and God confronted him on it. Tried mm-hmm. to talk him out of it. He yep. said, don't give in to this. It's like a prowling lion or panther mm-hmm. or something. I don't remember. Yep. Anyway, like some prowling beast waiting to devour you. And he gives in. And, and before he commits actual murder, he commits murder in his heart. It's premeditated because he's angry. Yep. And so, like, when Jesus is talking about it, is it true when he says it? Yeah. But it's a timeless truth. Yep. And I think I, I see this in other books that, you know, I, I read. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, more than a little bit, I should say, as I was yeah. unpacking when we when we last recorded it. As this book called Soul Keeping by a guy named John, John Ortberg that's about yeah. the life of Dallas Willard. He starts it with a parable story. Like, that's the way he unpacks it. And the book had deep impact on me. And I thought about why. And it was because 
even though some of the themes of the book, I can remember hurry is the enemy of your soul. And I, you know, I can remember certain thoughts, the story at the beginning that there was a stream that flowed into a village and there was a soul, there was a keeper of the stream that lived high in the mountains that was never seen, but the stream was always clean and it flowed and gave life to the village. Well, one day the villagers came together and they said, we have never seen this, this stream, you know, keeper. So why do we pay him? We never know what he's doing. So let's choose not to. So they stopped paying the stream keeper and guess what? The stream gets muddy and kids start to get sick and the whole village becomes basically overcome by this, this sickness. And so they get back together and they go, maybe that was a bad idea. And so they, they decide to pay the stream keeper and guess what? The stream keeper comes back and he cleans up the water and people stop being sick. And the end of the story is you are the tender of your own stream and your stream is your heart and it flows into the world. Be a keeper of your stream. And then he says, above all else, guard your heart. And yeah. that's the whole start of the book. And it's like, I'm like, oh, and yeah. like just the laying out of like this deep truth, like a fantasy being laid out, the tragedy that can happen if you don't take care of your heart and the growth that can happen and the changing of a story if you yeah. do tend to your heart and allow God to flow in. I just remember thinking, man, this really fits that model and it stuck with me and it's a model that could have gone a lot of different directions and still made yeah. a lot of sense. So the way I want to take this conversation today yeah. um, is talking about the the Christian story, mm-hmm. which, I mean, you we'll get into it. But um, so like you, I, I use this example a lot for uh, whenever I teach or do whatever, that like I, I have this strong core memory of like living at my house with my parents as a kid and I know the way things are, and then I go to a friend's house, and it's so different. different. Yep. They're either their parents are more like their friends than my parents are to me, or they're less like their friends than my parents are to me, or they're quicker to get aggressive, or mm-hmm. they spend money on doing fun stuff, or they eat different kinds of food, they do different kinds of stuff, they whatever. And part of that is just is is just like they're different, but 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 the stream that flows into why they're different is the story they have of their own family hmm. and the stories they tell about their own family. For my family, um, my, my mom and dad didn't tell a lot of stories about our immediate family or about them, but my, and my mom didn't tell a ton of stories about her and her family growing up, but my dad told stories about him and his family, and when his family came over, to clarify, my, my, by the time I was born, my mom had one living relative, and, and she died when I was six, so like her entire fi- side of the family. Not a lot of stories to tell. Yeah. Uh, but my dad's side of the family is all living um, for the most part and all uh, come down every year and they retell their stories and their stories are like uh, when, when my dad was like 11, 12 or so, they all moved to Japan for a few years and that was super different. And they have a thousand stories about that and stories about living in California and whatever. Uh, And it's like the stories happened then, but they're not here today. Mm. And that impacted our family. But for, for my friend Luke and his family, um, their stories were happening in that moment. Um, mm. And their stories were about them meeting uh, his parents. And uh, their stories were about growing up, uh, raising their family together. And their stories were closer. And so the family bonds felt tighter. And, and the stories that your family tells kind of kind of solidified the identity, even the worldview, how you look out and see other stuff of your family. I'm just I'm listening to you say this and I find so much clearly and I hope if you're listening or watching this think about cuz to me it immediately made me think about like what stories did we tell around the dinner table? Like what stories did we tell when we were in the cars? And like yeah. I heard a lot I would say a few stories of like you know my mom in Pennsylvania where she grew up or my dad in Indiana but their their home life wasn't wasn't like the worst in any way. Yeah. But I think both of them took great steps forward to kind of change what what family life they experienced. Yeah. And so the older I get, the more our stories stayed inside our family. Like it was uh, my dad, our dog got trapped uh, on the deck fighting off a couple of raccoons. Yeah. And it was the middle of winter. And he grabbed an empty two-liter bottle and went on the deck to try to 
fight off these raccoons with this empty dealer and slid on the ice and literally bowling balled these two raccoons <laughs> and <laughs> glasses went flying. Yeah. And like my brother and I had to like go out there with a baseball bat and try to like help him up and like get him back in the house. <laughs> Dog jumped over and was in the house before he could get yeah. back in. And we told that story for years. Like yeah. it was one of those like core memory stories yeah. of like our whole family rallying to try to save the family dog yeah. and like and our dad being so brave and then us having to get brave to like go and help him and yeah. then like us all laughing and being like whatever and then we had to try to go find my dad's glasses out in the yard cuz they <laughs> flew off his head yeah. and he couldn't see and like you know and I, I think about that and I'm like those types of stories became almost like the things that our family rallied around. Yeah. Things that defined our family. Yeah. That it's a common things. experience. Maybe yes. a, usually common experiences get better with a common enemy or get more unifying yeah. with a common enemy. or But like a common joke totally mm -hmm. makes sense too. Now, um, where's it going with this? Oh, okay. Quick quick side note. Uh, we, you'll sometime, in, in uh, talking about how, how to raise kids in a Christian tradition, mm -hmm. um, the thing I... I hear a lot of people like not sure how to do that. That's fine. Like no, mm -hmm. nobody knows exactly how to do that. But one of the best things I've ever seen uh, as a parenting tactic to raise kids in that is to, I mean, try your best to live a faithful Christian life and bring them into it. Either like if you're a worship minister, bringing your kids to worship rehearsal, even though they're six and eight and they're going to, pick up the phone and call 911 and mm -hmm. fire trucks will be there and whatever. And like, that's a funny story, but like, like them being with you when you do ministry stuff, but also telling stories around the table. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to be a faithful Christian. Your kids are on the dinner table with you and you had some experience with a homeless guy and you gave him five bucks. Mm -hmm. Tell them that the, the, the difference between um, this, it's not as easy as this, but one major difference between kids who are close to their parents and kids who aren't, is how much the parents bring their kids into their life. Yep. Parents who don't fight in front of their kids and don't apologize in front of their kids, don't don't talk about how their workday sucked in front of their kids or how whatever. Like you don't need to to trash everybody and and no, make them mad no. at everybody else, but like like them knowing that you struggle is so humanizing and it and, and it adds value. Oh yeah, to, uh, to you in their eyes so much. So like you want to bring your kids into your family story and into your faith story so yeah. that they can be a part of that, so that they can identify in your faith story. They can have a foothold in faith rather than just having to figure it out only on their own. There's some element to that, like they're going to have to. Oh yeah, for sure. But I think stories, I mean, personally, that's that. Yeah, that's, I try to do that a ton with my kids. Uh, you know, this, this, I just can't help but like think about how Jesus taught, you know, yeah. obviously he didn't have kids. And so it's hard to like, as a parent, sometimes be like, I wonder how Jesus would be as a parent, but I'm like, yeah, if you don't think his disciples weren't his kids, I don't know what you do. You're like, yeah. he's God of the yeah. universe. I think he's probably got some parenting techniques that he's using on Peter. If I'm being real, yeah. um, as well as friend, but like parenting techniques. And I just think about how much Jesus hung on stories as his yeah. main teaching technique. Definitely. He hung on stories as the main teaching technique in a way that was unusual. Unusual. Uh, I don't know how many other well, teachers that day true. taught in parables, true. but like was unusual for the story history of Israel. Yes. And, and because his stories, um, they maybe weren't a technique that was unusual, but the points of his stories and what Absolutely. his stories revealed were completely fresh. Almost yeah. upside down is yeah. almost the way that most of his stories went. And I, I love that about Jesus because I when I read the Bible, I'll often like get to a New Testament epistle, some letter, and it's prose discourse. They're just telling you straight up, do this, don't do that, whatever. Uh, and I hear that, and I'm like, okay, I'll try. But then I go to Daniel and read some epic like mm -hmm. fairy tale story about that. Not fairy tale like it's fake, but fairy tale like... Revealing like of fighting a dragon or like mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings or whatever, even though those are mm -hmm. fake maybe. But like something like that with like some sort of picturesque mm -hmm. symbolism, whatever, that, that makes it real. For sure. So you were talking about the, the parable, the story at the beginning of soul keeping, whatever, mm -hmm. about the stream keeper. I get that way better than I get like just guard your hearts. Yes. Yeah. Right? It's like yeah. I know the first, the, the guard your hearts is important, but the story about it just 
digs deep. Yes, and yeah. it hits hard. And I think when you read, uh, you know, a parable is meant to have one point. Like when you read a parable, the the you know the way that it was taught at Ozark specifically was like there is one specific idea that a parable is trying to teach. It's trying to teach one thing, and I, that's really hard because sometimes we like to pull a thousand things yeah. out of parables. And it's not that it can't teach other things in the midst of it, but it has a central focus. Yeah. It has one thing that it's trying to reveal. When Jesus tells, there's a, there's a shepherd that has 99 sheep, and one goes astray, he leaves the 99 and goes and gets the one. The point is he cares about the one. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point. He, it's not that he doesn't care about the 99. It's that he w- is willing to leave the 99 because he cares so much about the one. And yeah. so when you hear, hey, Jesus loves you, this is a story <laughs> that's supposed to make you go, how much does he love you? Like a shepherd, leaving yeah. 99% of his economy, his savings, his worth, his yeah. value, and risking it for 1%. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, those stories, they you see that, like how they... They take a principle, and that's what I was going to say. Is like yeah. I love how principles declare and teach deep truths. Stories do that. They yeah. teach these deep principles and truths. So at the whole, at the heart of like a good story or a good narrative or these things that are like telling the truth. When a story reveals the truth, yeah, it sits at the center of your family. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, my my family grew up with uh, the kind of like proverbs, almost like just these like pithy yeah. statements that like would get repeated all the time, and yeah. they almost always went with stories that that either showed a deep tragedy of a failing of that, like in our lives or yeah. someone else they knew, or a deep revealing of how it was leading to good things and how yeah. it would, had been followed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have similar experiences with that. Not really. My parents didn't use as many of those. They were, me and my brother didn't really get into that much trouble, so we yeah. didn't have to have pithy statements. I mean, it was it was more much. like like we're raking the yard at like seven thirty on a Saturday, yeah. and my dad had yanked us out of bed. We're homeschooled, so we're like, we can do this any day. These are the, yeah. the only day my my friends are here. This is the only day everyone's yeah. around, and this is the day. And he's like, well, this is my day off. You know, and you're like, but like, uh, you know, like, and at the time I'm like, I get that, but like, just leave us a note yeah. and we'll do it while you're gone. And yeah. he would, and we'd be like, this isn't fair. And he would be like, who told you life is fair? And I remember yeah. at the time I was like, no one, my but heart, my heart feels like yeah. it should be like, yeah. like mom splits everything in the same equal cup. So maybe I should get the larger piece because I'm stronger. If that's life yeah. doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. And, and then, but then as I learned the gospel, he would spin that and he'd be like, if you got what was fair, grace wouldn't, grace wouldn't be fair. Yeah. And he's like, so just remember when things are hard the other way, you've received a gift that outweighs yeah, all of it, and I remember just being like, "Oh, that's a little tricky." Like, yeah, I mean, like, 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 wow, it's tricky. But that—that's an example of your dad trying to use story, mm-hmm. stories exactly that are close to him, probably too, stories mm-hmm. from the Bible to loop you in to oh, faith. Hundred percent. Each one of those is a little hook on the Velcro of what he's of this like identity that he's trying to hook you into, and so that's why I love how much story is used in the history of God's people yeah so um i have all these books here that if you're on the audio version of the podcast you can totally see um but there's like five (laughs) books all about the same thing uh it's all about the church calendar and we're gonna talk about why that's important but um tell me if you can connect i mean you can't tell me but uh the the (sighs) connect the dots of what we've been talking about this book is called living the christian year Time to inhabit the story of God. What does our conversation right now make you think of with that title? Living the Christian year. Time to inhabit the story of God. So it would be attaching each season or each part of a year to the importance inside the story of God. Yes. And no. 
but also <laughs> the same way that families and groups use stories to yeah. solidify identity. Ah. You are living in the stories of God, the living God who didn't just live and die a thousand years ago, 2000 yes. years ago, but you're, you're trying to live inside the stories of God because you've been made a part of his family. You so want to think find about, yourself in the stories. You're no longer slaves, but you're adopted as sons and daughters. Well, what do sons and daughters do? They tell stories. Mm-hmm. So uh, from the from the beginning, maybe Genesis didn't have as many as explicit stories retold, but you get to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and this big epic thing happens. So the, the Israelites are enslaved for like 400 years, and uh, that's not totally true. They fall into enslavement over 400 yeah, years. Yeah, it's kind of like slow, but yeah. who knows when it really yeah. started to happen. So at the end of 400 years, um, God is like, they've cried out enough. The oppression over them has grown big enough that God wants to do something about it. He picks this super unlikely guy named Moses. I'm really making this story short. And he that's does right. these big epic things. He does 10 plagues. He he tells Pharaoh to let his people go. And every time he says no, he'll <laughs> do another plague, whatever. Eventually they get freed from Egypt. Um, when I was at high school camp, I think I said this a few podcasts ago. I was teaching at high school camp this past summer. Or mm-hmm. winter retreat, maybe? Yeah, yep. winter retreat. Uh, and I was talking about how, um, to use a story, as if that's what <laughs> we're talking about right now, uh, how um, we were learning about this uh, parachurch organization right now called uh, Rafa House International, and they yeah. rescue kids from sex trafficking internationally. And yep. so they were telling this story of this one guy who's like like ex-football player-looking dude, and his whole job to serve the ministry was to partner with local police and go with them on raids, bulletproof vest and everything, no weapon. So you could have two hands free so that they'd kick down the door and there'd be flashlights and maybe people might be shooting or handcuffs or tasers or whatever. And his whole job was to run in there and grab kids and bring them out. Whole job. That's stinking awesome. And it like, I over winter retreat, I could barely talk about this without crying, but it's like, what do you do with them after Mm -hmm. all they've known is that traumatic life Yep, and habits are so hard to break. Like that's what they've known. That's what they've lived in. So what they need is a rehab community, a rehabilitation community where they're trained how to live a good life and they don't just make their new place, another sex trafficking ring, another house like that. So what happens in Egypt is God runs in bulletproof vest among all the Egyptians and picks up his kids, his his Israelite people, and brings them out. So what does he do with them after? They make it out. They make it through the Jordan. It closes back up over Pharaoh and his army, whatever. And uh, God brings him out, and he leads him up to this mountain, and he's trying to set up this rehabilitation community, this place that if there weren't rules in place, it would turn into Egypt again, and you'd get persecuted again. People would take advantage of you again. And he doesn't want that, and you don't want that. So we set up this whole new thing. And um, the by first the way, f- when you told that story for the first time at church, I cried like a baby. And then I had to preach. <gasps> so I'm proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so so he brings him up to this mountain, and the whole first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, the Law. So people think, oh, it's a list of rules, etc. And it's not totally. It's it's more uh, an example of how to live. Think Proverbs thirty one, mm-hmm. the the righteous woman or mm-hmm. whatever it's called. Uh, are those rules that if you break them, you've lost your title of righteous woman? No, that's just a picture of what a righteous woman looks like, and just try to do that. And so um, they set up these rules, the Ten Commandments, and then a bunch of commandments after there. Even Leviticus has its own like whole book full of commandments and things to set up and whatever. That are, that are set in place to make this community not like the last community. Yeah. But he's also making them a family because of Genesis 12 or 19 or something like that. His promise to Abraham, I'll make you a great mm-hmm. nation, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Um, and so what does he do? He sets up rules. This is how you act in my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of uh, close family friends of ours, the Henrys, and they have this saying for their kids, who are we? We're the Henrys. What do Henrys do? Try. So they'll try new foods and they'll try baseball. And even if they don't like it, they'll try. Henry's try. And that's kind of what's happening in the, in the Exodus. And, and then they get up there in the Ten Commandments. What do, what do uh, Yahwehites do? What do Israelites do? What do my people do? They 
Ten Commandments. They this is what we do because we're a part of God's God's they, kingdom. Uh, they, uh, you know, this uh, Deuteronomy six, right? The Shema. Yeah. Whatever. It's uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yeah. Yeah. And it's their family identity, and they write it on their foreheads, and they do what? Not mm-hmm. really. They have tassels or whatever. Anyway, yeah. So they have all this stuff, but part of what they set up is annual feasts, mm-hmm. times to remember what God has done, who God is, and to kind of re-up, reimagine yourself in that story of God, your family story, now that you've been adopted into God's family. So for your family, every time you see ice outside, you talk about how your dad slipped on the ice, and you mm-hmm. all laugh, and you get a little closer because you bond over that memory. Well, this isn't just happening in a lifetime. This is happening over thousands of years, so much so that when Jesus shows up, they're still doing it. How many people were alive that were alive when the, when the exodus happened? So nobody. Yeah. So what Jesus does at the Last Supper, he's about to be crucified, but the Last Supper is the Passover. They're remembering the exodus. They're remembering yep. God taking out, doing those uh, plagues. and The 10th one specifically. Yeah, the 10th one where God takes out their God of firstborns, the Egyptian yep. God of firstborns. And uh, they're and remembering that. Pharaoh's Pharaoh's son, which yeah. is a deity figure in Egypt. Pharaoh yeah. was seen as a deity. So this is taking out God's son. Yeah. Basically, which is a big deal. So they're they're reliving the story of God. This is why um the central word almost in my program, my master's program that I finished is the Greek word anamnesis, which is to remember. Excuse you. Bless you. Uh, <laughs> but it is it's it means to remember, but it doesn't mean to be like I forgot. Oh yeah, it was that. It means to remember like they remembered, to live in the story. So if you if you told them to a Jewish community in the first century with Jesus to anamnesis their high school graduation, what would they do? Well, they'd uh, they'd pull up Spotify, play Pomp and Circumstance. They'd put on their graduation robes. They'd reenact it. Mm-hmm. That's how they'd remember it. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing in the Passover, in the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Tents. I think that's all the same thing. It is. Uh, where they're it remembering is. they're is. wandering in the mm-hmm. desert. And How many people were portable, alive? Portable tower. Uh, yeah. Portable huts and all yeah. that. Yeah. They all go outside and live in tents. Why? Because they're reliving as mm-hmm. they're retelling the story of God mm-hmm. and the story of them. Yep. And so, like, they're like Renaissance faring it up every time. They're getting all anachronistic and 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 the tents and and the tents and stuff had restrictions on it that no matter your economic stature. No matter you know whatever the tents would all be similar. I mean that's yeah. that's one of the cool things too, where it's like it was the great leveling, yeah, of everyone. The story invited everyone in at the equal place. Yeah, it's like we were all trapped in Egypt. Yeah. We were all without hope. We were yeah. all rescued by God, which is it's the great equalizer of what a story does. Yeah, and this is how Israelites united across the whole kingdom. I mean, eventually that crumbled, but this is how God set it up for them united across hundreds of miles away. Yeah. They would be united by these stories. We have the same family, the same nation, united by these same stories. So what churches have done today ever since like, I mean, depending on the different festival or whatever, ever since like 30, 50 years after Jesus died is renew these Israelite festivals, this idea at least, to become Christian festivals. So uh, how many Christian festivals have you ever participated in? Christian feasts. Mm, I can't think of any. Uh, well, how about Christmas? Yeah. How about I, Easter? But but I don't know if their feasts are attached. Yeah, to okay, yeah, feast like, may not be the right word. I feel anymore, like Thanksgiving was the one I went to, and I'm like, it's not Christian. Yeah. So like you know, it's like, like uh, holiday is kind of how we think about it now. But maybe even your own family, you have an Easter meal, a Christmas meal. Yes. These are ways that Christians today are trying to do holidays, feasts, celebrations annually to remember to remember Jesus to 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 live in the story of God and inhabit yeah. the story of God again because we are not just our own we've been bought with a price we've been adopted as sons and daughters and as sons and daughters in this new kingdom in this new family we have new stories that remind us who we are who God is why we're here and like how much we get to celebrate over yeah. so and so that's why one of the things I've loved since I've been here is um, I've slowly been able to expand Christmas and Easter a little bit mm-hmm. to incorporate more of at least the ideas and the timetable of this like Christian calendar where Easter isn't one day, but before it and leading up to it is Passion Week, which has Good Friday yep. um, and maybe Palm Sunday before that's included, whatever. 
And then also this past year, we extended it back a month and a half, two months to be Lent, yep. where we're walking with Jesus toward the cross. We are um, like, like this is holy ground that we're stepping on. Like if you knew uh, a family member of yours, a parent, a, a close grandparent or somebody had a month left to live. Yeah. Every time you walk in that room to, to see them again before they pass is holy ground. That is not to be trifled with. You do not answer random phone calls. You, that's that's special. That's Lent for us. Mm-hmm. We're walking with Jesus, knowing that He said He's going to die, and that He's going to die, even though it happened in the past. We're we're putting on our graduation robes again. We're reliving it. We're inhabiting it again. Mm. It's representing. We think of as like, oh, it's something that means something else, but re-presenting. Yeah, we're presenting it like it's happening again. And we do this with birthdays yeah. in our culture. We do this with, uh, you know, 4th of July. You know, we have our own national things that I think we do. Yeah. That, that, you know, this isn't just a Christian thing, but I think the Christian side of it yeah. obviously has the greater connection to the gospel, even though I think Doug is right that all stories have some yeah. you know, connection to the idea of triumph or, uh, you know, comedy, uh, fantasy, and tragedy. Yeah. I, I, I find this enthralling because it's i don't know if it's like something that and maybe you're going to go here where you're like hey there's like six things that every christian home should do and this yeah. is the christian calendar <laughs> i Which, wish uh, i don't have kids i know uh, so. but but i mean like i think it's great though that that you are also advocating like if there are your ebenezer moments where god yeah. has been faithful and you have you know set some sort of christian um heritage moment in mind you know for yeah. me um, it is, you know, like October 17th is when I was baptized and I know that. Yeah. And so every year that it comes around that time, I start processing that. I think about the journey yeah. that I've been on and how long and crazy and difficult and amazing it's been. Um, yeah. and how far God has shaken, you know, taken me. I think about my marriage covenant with God the same way. Um, I think marriage is, is very similar, which is coming up for me. Happy 15 years, Katrina. I love you. You'll never watch this. Maybe you will. Uh, <laughs> I like to. <you. laughs> um, but, you know, the the thought process around that, too, is like that was not just based on personal preferences, but also her spiritual life, her walk with Jesus, our life together for the kingdom, yeah. um, celebrating that and being excited because God has still been faithful and uh, been very good to us, uh, gave yeah. us many blessings through that. So I... I think about how this this concept too of like, and I mean, dude, there's so much we can talk about, and I know we've already probably maybe gone longer than we should, or we're close to it. But like, well, oral tradition was actually, I would say, the more grassroots start, like the foundation of the Bible, yeah. and I would say even the gospel, yeah. where more people heard it told in story form. Um, so you know, take that for what you want, what the Holy Spirit has to use it, or maybe God's in in amongst yeah. that, but it's not being read. Well, yeah. Most people aren't be able to even write or read in the way that we can. And so even Genesis and uh, a lot of those books, Genesis through Deuteronomy is the Torah. It's claimed to be written by Moses, mm-hmm. but Moses dies mm-hmm. halfway through. And you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Did he, did he know about everything after this? Like, yes. Did he? And so, I don't you know. know, so much of the history and you can do your own research on this. And it's, it's very important, I think, for you yeah. to. If you have doubts on this, please go and there's always going to be mystery, always going to be mystery when God's involved. Um, but I think it's important to understand that like we are we're brought up in a culture where like having perfect accuracy and having complete understanding is like thought to be necessary to to teach or to talk about uh, some of this stuff. And I just think it's really important to emphasize that yeah, knowing the details and talking about it in narrative and story form, and helping people understand uh, that's a method it doesn't change the message like that's that's just us talking about what's going on at the roots and so you know some of the stuff if you can memorize one of the parables if you can talk about some of the, th- the stories that Jesus yeah. talked about it's not specifically about being able to quote it word for word it's about can you teach it can you retell it can you retell yeah. it effectively when i was uh, interning at the church internet one of the they were talking about um, speaking as one of their core values, and they were talking about some other stuff. And this guy uh, got up to talk about how to talk about Jesus. And he didn't say these are his top 10 characteristics, uh, his three highlight moments, whatever. He said, memorize at least how to tell 
a story or two about Jesus so that when somebody asks you about Jesus, say, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this one time he, and then tell the story. And it's because stories do such a good job of getting to the character of a person that seems more earned than a title you give them. Absolutely. Or a list or bullet points. Mother Teresa is a saint or is a, is a good person. Sure. But then you read about stuff she did and you're like, whoa, Mm -hmm. she's a good person. She's a truly cares about others and whatever. Like there's a difference in the story and the, the title alone. I, I definitely think, you know, this, this three part has been a lot of fun and we've had, we haven't had a chance to completely unpack it, but I think it's been a journey, you know, starting out in kind of a silly fun way of talking about our favorite Marvel movies, going to a place where we kind of break down why those Marvel movies and just stories, Shakespeare, whatever in general kind of pull at the heartstrings of the human experience or human nature. Um, And then ultimately why the gospel, I think, is something that continues to be effective and to reveal itself to be, I think, necessary. You know, some people say is religion uh, more costly than it is helpful uh, amongst the world. And I would say I don't think you'll ever kill the narrative. Yeah. I just don't think you will. So many people are worried to death and they want to get all the facts right because you're talking about God himself Mm -hmm. when you're talking about Christianity. And I get that worry, but there's something that happens in story where I want to be careful with, don't take this the wrong way, but where you can get some details Mm -hmm. not factually, historically right, but you can tell the character right. So that's one of the arguments about the, the Gospels and how ancient biographies were is that there are four Gospels. They're generally... Like agree, they generally agree, but there are minor details in some stories mm-hmm. that they get wrong. Yep. Um, where there's one demon possessed person in one story, and the same story in another gospel, there is two demon possessed people. But it's generally the same, and Jesus is never evil in one and good in the other, or whatever. But um, what they're trying to do is write from their experience with Jesus to a certain audience and tell them who he is yep. by telling stories about him. So they may tell the same story with slightly different details or emphasize certain stories over others, give, give certain stories more words than other accounts give that same story because they're trying to tell you something about Jesus. The Gospel of John does this a and, ton. And it's, and it's funny because all four Gospels tell stories and yeah. all four of them tell similar stories or the same stories differently. Yeah. And not differently as in their points are different or differently in that the nature of what they're talking about is different. Or like you said, like God's bad or Jesus is bad or the, or the farmer's bad in one. Never disagreeing with each other. Never disagreeing, but always using just similar. And it'd be the difference between my wife telling a story versus me telling a story about what happened with our kids versus my sister or my parents telling the story. Like everyone's perspective is slightly different, even though it's recounting the same facts and the yeah. same story, just from a different. So perspective. the different stories that we know of, uh, the different like ways the gospels are written differently is, John was close to Jesus. John is very like mystical kind of in his approach to it, um, and almost more emotional and mm-hmm. and uh, giving a caricature of Jesus that's true, but it's true to his character, not necessarily always as worried about. Facts and dates and and whatever, but and it's, it's true not about chronological, and it's got its own rhythm. Yeah. yeah, but then like Mark is this account uh, of a disciple from the way after Jesus uh, writing down the account of Peter, who Peter's very sporadic. He's at mm-hmm. the end of his life, uh, and so like this is almost a secondhand account, but he's getting it from the first guy while he's alive. Yep. Um, probably. And, and it so, feels like, like it's a rush. It feels so rushed. It feels like he got a lot of snippets. Like yep. this guy's very scatterbrained. And I was well, like immediately. And then yeah. just after and like yeah. right now and like, yep. And uh, he focuses a little bit more on Jesus being angry or upset or whatever, because Peter gets Peter. angry and upset. <laughs> yeah. He's That's his characteristic <laughs> thing. He blurts out something before he should. And, yep. and uh, so he sees the moments Jesus does that a little bit and emphasizes those. Luke is a historian and a doctor. Yep. And so like he tries to get facts and dates and all this stuff more right than everybody else. And he was hired to do it. Yeah. So it's not even something he's doing. He's doing it personally, but he's doing it with another person in mind. So he's trying yeah. to be uh, mindful that he's trying to do a good job. Like, he wasn't a firsthand eyewitness, but he's interviewing all these people. You see him in the gospel, uh, in the book of Acts with Paul and with different people at different times. 
Um, and then Matthew's a Jew writing to Jews. So he leans on prophecy. He leans on mm-hmm. genealogy, to, genealogies and alluding to Jesus through uh, alluding to different Old Testament scriptures mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, fulfilling prophecies and whatever. Did Jesus fulfill prophecy? Yes. Does Luke talk about it or John talk about it as much as Matthew? I don't think so. No. But that doesn't mean he fulfills them less or they thought he fulfilled less or whatever. That's just who Matthew's trying to paint Jesus to be. Oh, yeah. Because he's got a window into Jesus. But if you think about it, if if I love baseball and I've tracked baseball my whole life, and um, and then someone that's just picked up the game or just learned it, you know, or yeah. would never seen baseball, uh, start tries to describe a baseball game. Yeah. Like uh, terminology, the way they describe it, the references, how they talk about each player, what they might use as similarities, what they might use to prove whether a player is really good or is okay. What or insider how, language they use and what they explain. And how much yeah. they expect the audience to be able to understand. If I'm talking yeah. to somebody that knows a lot about baseball versus who doesn't, yeah. you know, the game, the game all of a sudden becomes a lot more complex or a lot more simple to explain. And yeah. I, you can see that in the gospel writers. It doesn't change uh, the narrative. It doesn't change the message. It just changes the method. And it's yeah. no different than what we've been talking about. And whether it's a Marvel movie or whether it's a book that chooses to, to expose the power of what stories are at the root or whether it's the gospel itself that seems to sit at the center of all this that is Genesis in my yeah. mind that, that reveals the great suffering that is at hold from our own tragedy, from our yeah. own choices that reveal the weight that we have fallen from. Yeah. But call us to a comedy to be <laughs> yeah. hopefully made new in this world and then ultimately made pure yeah. and whole. To bring this whole thing around full circle, um, we had a whole episode on Harry Potter that you should yes. probably go back to. And the reason we all like it is not because we're into witchcraft and we love <laughs> uh, taking divine no, powers. No, 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 no. It's because there's so much truth in it. Absolutely. It's, there's so much, not just factual things, not just no. parts of the truth, but so much life truth in it. So at the end of like every book near the end, Gan- uh, Gandalf. Uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Dumbledore, Dumbledore has a bunch of like quippy, but super deep life statements. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 don't do what is uh, easy. Do what is right or something like that. Mm-hmm. All these statements. He even, uh, the author even quotes scripture in there, like we talked about in oh, the last episode or so. Mm-hmm. The last enemy to be defeated shall be death is on Harry's parents' tombstones. Yep. That's out of 1 Corinthians 15. Well, and I don't know if you've I don't <laughs> I don't know if you've connected to this yet, but I was gonna mention it last time and I forgot. The Deathly Hollows are almost comedy. Yeah. Fantasy and tragedy. Because yeah. ultimately the the stone is trying to get you away from the tragedy of death. It's trying to be a comedy. It's trying to be a comedy. No, no, no. It's trying to be a. It's trying to stop the tragedy. The yeah. comedy is what the blanket is. It's trying to make your life as good as it can be right here, but ultimately it still leads to tragedy. Yeah. And then the, of course the fantasy is that you would have this wand that would make you unstoppable. Yeah. That in you, no matter what you are, all of a sudden you're transformed into something yeah. greater and those three things attached to something. But in the end, they're not enough. Even yeah. the one that possesses all three, it still, it still ends at platform nine and three quarters. Yeah. So, you know, in my mind, it, I don't know. There's, there's just this power of like the story is so attached yeah. and it plays so heavily off of gospel themes. And for me, I, I hope that this has been intriguing to you. I hope that, You'll take a look at the books that we'll probably attach in the yeah in the description. I might just pick one or two because you really. Yeah. But there's a uh, to go over it super quick. There's a super short one called "Rediscovering the Christian Feasts: A Study in the Services of the Christian Year" by Robert E. Weber. This is a very short book that's meant as like study guide stuff in it. So yeah. it's meant to be like super accessible. It's like what ninety, it's like a hundred and five pages <laughs> or so. Super short. Um, but this is a condensed version of this, if you can see it, which is a 700-page oh dictionary <laughs> uh, from the same guy, but with all these different yep. guys writing different articles and whatever. So, like, this stuff goes deep. But if you want a quick overview, um, like, dig into this book, dig into um, even uh, another super short one is called uh, Calendar, Christ's Time for the Church by Lawrence Hull Stuckey. Um, it's a super good one because it starts with uh, Sunday morning, 
as our weekly rhythm of, of reminding us of the story. Sabbath. We meet on Sundays because Christ died 2,000 years ago. Let's tell that story. But then in a bigger way, uh, going into, I didn't talk about Advent very much, yeah. but like Advent is like remembering how much we're longing for Jesus to show up. Not just this time, but yeah. the next time. And it's remembering, anamnesis remembering. So you're reenacting yeah. how much you long. Yeah. So you're reenacting what it would have been like for first century people to be waiting for Jesus after 400 years of not hearing from the prophets, after thousands of years of enslavement and war and whatever from different groups around you, you're waiting for God to fix it. Mm. And then he sends Jesus. And it reminds us today of waiting for God to show up again and reset the world right. And it reminds us today of waiting for God to show up in that hospital room with our, with our loved one, with our family. And so like it, it helps us put us in these different postures to, Tell the stories of God's family again. This is a really good overview of it that's maybe a little deeper, a little more academic, but uh, still only like 200 or less pages. You know, and all of this, I, I think, I think we, we keep coming back to, we just we want to be people that love Jesus and love learning and continue to pursue him and grow. And I think recognizing the power of stories, regardless if you are young and the movies and the things that you're allowing your mind to to be latched to and why why it has such powerful sway to yeah. a young adult or you know I would say even a young parent or those in marriage uh, or single even like what stories are you telling yourself what stories are grabbing you what what things are playing on your heartstrings um, yeah. like your soul keeping uh, like your your stream keeper and then I think later in life like what stories are you recalling and are you speaking of the things where God is faithful yeah. and how He has shown Himself so hey this has been a really yeah. Uh, good podcast is a really long one. I hope <laughs> if you are here, you got double gold star. All right, double yeah. gold scar, star garter. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's always great if you guys leave us a review. Um, if you're listening to it on podcasts and if you're on YouTube, we appreciate a like or a share. Um, feel free to always email us. Let, let us know uh, if this was helpful to you. You can leave a comment or uh, give us an idea of something else you want to hear us talk about and, and kind of dive into. We're always curious yeah. to see what you guys are interested in. So Absolutely. other than that, thanks, Ryan, for this discussion. Appreciate you guys listening along. And uh guess we'll see you next time. Have a great and glorious day in the Lord. We'll see you later. See you.